welcome to the Dave and Ronald Show podcast. Hi, Ronald. How are you? Good. How are you doing? I'm good. The first thing we want to talk about today is this resurgence of COVID because we on and off have talked about it on the podcast. And a few months ago when we were talking about it, we were hitting that period where we were getting down to a very low number in terms of infections, low number in terms of new cases, and things were looking on the up and up. And I had actually prepared some topics that we were going to talk about in a future episode of the podcast probably six weeks ago. And now I guess some of the answers have come out as a result of what's happening right now. But let's, I guess, kind of talk about like what's happening in terms of the latest guidance from the CDC. And pretty much they've moved from a point where if you're fully vaccinated, you pretty much didn't have to wear a mask indoors and outdoors was always kind of open territory. But now the guidance has changed because of this Delta variant. And now the guidance has gone back to we recommend we're not mandating, but we're strongly recommending that people mask up indoors again. And here in New York City, this coming week, there could be like legal challenges, things like that. And there are like mixed reviews as to whether or not not those challenges would pass muster. But what New York City is doing is for a lot of indoor activities, like going to movies, going to restaurants, going to concerts, they will require businesses to check their guests for proof of vaccination. And that's supposed to start in New York City on August 16th, which is a Monday which will probably be the Monday that directly follows when this episode goes up, unless this episode goes up on a different schedule. And there are a couple of things that have come up since that's been brought up. Number one is proof of vaccination. Now, if you've gotten vaccinated, you probably have one of those paper CDC cards. So New York City introduced this COVID safe app. And it's gotten a lot of criticism because in essence, it is a camera app. So what people are saying is you can literally take a picture and people were posting this on social media. You can take a picture of a menu. You can take a picture of like any sheet of paper and it will accept that. It's not verifying any of the information on it. It's really deferred to the people of the businesses, the business owners and their staff to go and check to verify that what they're showing you is legitimate. But we also know that there have been issues with fake vaccination cards going around. So what's to prevent someone from having a fake document and taking a picture of that and having that treated as real and legitimate? The third option you have is something that New York State released, which is Excelsior Pass. And that's kind of more robust in that it has to match against the state database, which pretty much any of the sites that offer vaccinations in New York, whether it's in the city, in a county, in the state, whether it's private or a public facility, pretty much they have to submit the information to the state. The state has it all in a database and pretty much you can apply for this Excelsior Pass. And with the original version, the original Excelsior Pass, you could either use the Excelsior Pass app, which is like an app wallet, or you could save it to like your Google wallet or Apple wallet. And that had some problems too, because there were a lot of people who could not download theirs because It requires that the information that you input in matches what's in the database. So it's like date of birth, it's your first name, your last name, your zip code, your phone number, your date of the last vaccination. So if it's a two dose, when you got that second dose, if it's the one dose, when you got the first dose, which county 
you got vaccinated in and then which vaccine you got, Moderna, Pfizer, or J&J. So people already had problems before. And, you know, now they've added a level where there's the Excelsior Pass and there's Excelsior Pass Plus. And the plus pretty much is it's a full digital version of your vaccination card. It has all the information that would be on your vaccination card, including where you got your vaccine, the lot number, you know, all those details. Let's first, before we kind of dive into the Excelsior Pass issue, because I, I want to bring up a particular issue with that, let's kind of get your thoughts on what you're hearing and what you think about what's going on in terms of, you know, the numbers going up, the trend of where we are, you know, all these breakthrough cases we're hearing about. And look, we're, we're hearing that, yes, it's a small number of breakthrough, which is really, I don't think it's as small anymore because I think as more data has become available, more studies have become available, that we're now seeing that Delta is a lot more, it's a virus that people can catch more easily. Right. It seems like more people, we're hearing a lot more about breakthrough cases happening, but also in the cases where you have people who are unvaccinated, that in some cases we are seeing like serious illness, hospitalization, death, et cetera. So just kind of what's been going on in your head, you know, listening yeah. to the news and, and what's happening. Yeah, I mean, I think with the Delta variant, it was really just a matter of time, right? It's not something that just newly came up or anything like that. It's been talked about. It was just not as widely or it wasn't widely spreading, right? And now they're realizing, oh, yeah, it is. But in my mind, was it spreading because now they relaxed everything at that time, right? They were allowing indoor dining. Masks don't have to be on if you're vaccinated, everything like else like that. And I guess it just goes back to all these recommendations. Don't wear a mask. Now wear a mask. Don't wear a mask. Wear a mask. And I think they just jumped the gun every single time. And right. in your mind, you wonder, well, how do we trust these people? Right? You're saying, don't do that. Now do that. Now don't do that. And I can understand. Everyone's been in this mode for over a year now. And right. you just want to allow people to go back to normal. And that all makes sense. But the problem is that we just keep hitting these ruts again by right. relaxing everything and then restricting things. It, it feels like you're this in this circular pattern that just never seems to end. Right. And now, what are they calling it? The, the pandemic within the, unvaccinated, the unvaccinated and everything yeah. else like that. But what can you do there? Now, now they're trying to get more people to get vaccinated by saying, well, you can participate in all the activities that you would like to if you're not vaccinated. So now they're trying to force everyone to do it. You're still going to have people fighting against it. What are you going to do? Right? To say, well, you can't do that. Now, all right, so you want restaurants to mandate this, things like that. But are restaurants going to follow this now? Because they may feel like they're going to lose business or you're going to just start another uproar. You know, I, I hear it on the news all the time now that someone gets stabbed or something because they just ask them to move aside or wear a mask or... Right. Whatever it is now, and it's absolutely ridiculous on the violence going up now. So it's not just with COVID. It's just that everyone's just become so violent, so sensitive to everything now. And you just don't know what to think at this point. Okay, well, you have this now. You have that now. Do this. Do that. I think everyone's just going a bit mad now with all of this. And it's just hard to really keep up or even want to keep up, if you know what I mean, right. where... I don't even want to watch the news because every time I turn it on, if it's not about COVID, it's about some other violent thing that's happening. Right. 
And it's just, it gets very sad to look at all that. And it's like, do you want to even be part of society at that point? Because everyone's just so sensitive. You probably shouldn't even talk to people because you don't even right. know what's going to happen. I think, I think part of it is like the common sense factor yeah. is gone. The respect for one another is gone. It's mm-hmm. like everyone's in the same boat. Everyone's in the same situation. So you need to kind of step back for a minute and look at this from a human side. Look at this from a health side. Don't look at this from a political side. Don't look at this from every other angle that you can possibly think of. Focus on what the problem is at hand, which is we have a health issue. We have this virus going around. It's killing people. It's making people sick. And focus on that first. But then I think a big part of it is fear. People are afraid, and they're afraid of different things. There's going to be the people who are part of the philosophy that, oh, you know, because we're being told to do something, you know, our rights are being taken away. Right. And then you have the other group of people in terms of fearing, like, the vaccines, that, oh, these vaccines haven't gone through rigorous testing and this and that, and so I don't know what it's going to to do to me. And look, that can be a legitimate concern because— Now there's talk about, well, if the FDA approved it, then more people would likely get vaccinated. And I don't know if that's necessarily true because the people who are not going to be vaccinated, their reasoning is not, well, because the FDA hasn't approved it yet. I think it's it's a point that people want to make that, oh, it's not approved yet. So that's a reason. But it's I think that's more of a delay tactic or stall tactic as to the justification. There are some people who just don't want to get it. They're just adamant about not getting vaccines. Exactly. And I think for those people, it's just not going to change. There are a lot of people who are coming out now who were unvaccinated, who became sick. And unfortunately, because they've reached that point where it personally affects them, then they come to the realization, well, now I made the wrong choice. And that tends to be what happens is when it affects you personally, when it affects you directly, then all of a sudden you reevaluate. But until that point happens, you don't look at it from that perspective. And there are some people who have contracted it, they've gotten sick, they've recovered, and then they'll go back off and they'll just say, well, it wasn't that bad. And the fact is, well, then you're part of the very small percentage that are really lucky. But you imagine, like, even for a week, feeling the way you would feel having the virus, even if you recover. It's like the other thing is, well, no one knows what the long-term effects will be, what sort of damage it could have caused. That could take years to research as well. So what you want to do is be as proactive as possible, and take precautions. But look, everyone has their own opinion as to what's going to happen. And the fact is, I mean, I think government is trying to get more involved, or at least in some states, to find ways to mitigate. Because we were at a point where when we hit the first 12 to 18 months, things were really leveling off. It was promising that things were going to be better. And then you get past like Memorial Day weekend and you get past immediately the 4th of July and things still seemed okay. And then all of a sudden you have the surge. And now you're getting to the point where we're in August now. And a lot of schools will be back to school in August. Some will be in September. And now you have to add another layer of, well, a lot of states, a lot of cities, a lot of counties have moved back to in-person learning. So that adds a new layer of concern. There were many businesses that were looking at back to office starting in September. And now they're kind of getting back to that. Well, we need to reconsider that because that might not be such a good idea in light of what's happening. So the trends are different. There are those who were questioning like the CDC and health officials, 
you say one thing and then you turn around and you say something else. And I think, look, part of it is there's a lot of politics in it. There's a lot of people complaining about wanting to get back to normal. And the fact is, in an ideal situation, you look at the health information, you look at the studies and the research. And yeah, they based it at the time on very limited information that was available that was showing that, yes, things are improving because vaccinations are up and we have better control over the virus. And now you get to the point where you open back up and you have the surge because you don't have enough of the mitigation taking place. So should they have waited a bit in an ideal situation? Yes, probably. They should have waited some more. They should have held tight until there was more data, more information available. But the problem is in the real world, people are pushing from all sides. Right, people are getting very anxious, right? And yeah. again, this goes back to why there's this surge in violence, right? I guess you use the example of like a caged animal, for, for right. example, right? And you're just stuck at home, can't do anything, can't do what you're used to. And I guess New York in specific, we're all used to being able to be outside, enjoy, like, for example, our, the summer right now nice weather, things like that. So when you can't enjoy that, but that doesn't give an excuse for people to just be violent or do whatever it is that they've been doing lately. Right. So it is really bad that that's where it is now. Yeah, it's kind of gotten out of control in terms of how a lot of that that's going on. And I mean, I don't think there's like any sort of quick fix to it because part of it is that, yes, people have been cooped up for a long period of time. People are becoming more resistant to wanting to follow any rules. I mean, the whole idea of the honor system in a lot of stores, for example, where if you're vaccinated, you don't have to wear a mask. If you're unvaccinated, you should wear a mask. Right. And using the honor system. Yes, in an ideal society, the honor system works. I mean, we knew where that was going to go already, yeah, right? It, the whole was honor system, to, we knew yeah. where that was going to go already. That at some point, it's going to be abused and we're going to go down the road of you need to prove now that vaccination. Right. And... Even if we go back to the idea of what New York City is trying to do with the mandate of proof of vaccination, some businesses are already pushing back. They're already saying, well, how are they going to stay in business? They may have to go back to all outdoor because that doesn't require proof of vaccination. Because to do that indoor can cripple their business because if you're in a location where there's a lot of unvaccinated, then they're going to have that problem. But also in my mind, they're saying with the Delta variant, they're, they're saying that, oh, this could pass just as easily as chickenpox. Right. So is outdoor any safer really now? Will there be a time where now they say, well, regardless of what you do, because you're sitting close to other people anyway, you need to show vaccination. Right. I, I don't and know. Even walking in the streets, I don't know. A, a lot of people don't wear masks now. Should we? Right. Because if they're saying it could be transmitted as easily as chickenpox— when I'm walking right by someone and you're going face to face, you know, at some point you meet, you meet up. Sure. Can you catch it just like that? Right. I mean, there is the potential because I think it was the CDC director last week doing an interview and she had indicated that at the beginning, if you were fully vaccinated, the likelihood of transmitting COVID was much lower based on the available data. And now it, it's the opposite. Right. Delta, it's likely that you could very likely transmit it to other people. Right. This and one's so a lot more contagious. Right. So if you take something where, yes, you're vaccinated so that it reduces illness, reduces serious illness, reduces hospitalizations, but you can still contract it. And I know a bunch of people who have actually, they're fully vaccinated. They were fully vaccinated longer than I was. Mm-hmm. And they, they still contracted the virus. And they were part of that small percentage of breakthrough cases. But 
I don't think that percentage is as small anymore right. as what it was first said. I think the likelihood of catching it kind of goes up based on, and again, not basing it on scientific information, but just hearing what I'm hearing mm-hmm. and seeing what I'm seeing. It sounds like the possibility of breakthrough cases has gone up. And even if, if you're vaccinated, you can catch it. Yes, these people who I know who contracted it, they have mild symptoms. But definitely it's nothing to say that, oh, it was so mild that it was, wasn't noticeable. It knocked them out. I mean, literally, they didn't feel well. And it's like, but it was more than just yes. a cold, though, not just like a regular. Yeah, I got. Yeah, a cold. I mean, yeah, because the thing is, it's literally like a flu, but worse. Okay. So it, that's really what it so is. So it's the flu-like symptoms. Plus yeah, it's some. the flu-like symptoms, but it's worse because you have certain things like you know, okay, like bone or muscle aches or headaches or you know things like that that you ordinarily wouldn't get with the flu. So it right. it really knocks you down. And then the thing about with the flu is usually after you recover from the flu within a few weeks, you're kind of back to normal. With I think mm-hmm. COVID, the thing is that you can have like long COVID. You can experience symptoms long after, like the fatigue. And some people experience like parosmia. So most people who have COVID, they lose their sense of smell and taste, which is anosmia. But some people months later can experience what's called parosmia, which is your sense of smell and taste is off. So things that are usually fragrant and nice become rancid and bad. Okay. So you can experience parosmia and there's no cure to parosmia what you can possibly do is allow time to go by for your senses to get back to normal and part of it is that your body is pretty much kind of resetting for some people from what i've researched it can be long term for some people it could be short term for some people you can retrain your brain to identify smells and tastes like they'll say like every day you can take a lemon and you can smell the lemon and you can you know retrain your body so that it can identify these senses and gradually your body will will it's come kind, back. it's kind of like a rehab right you're you're right. relearning everything over and over but you know it is unfortunate because we we still don't understand the real long-term effects of having right covid right and that's partially why you don't want to get it because yeah, and you don't know how it might impact you and you might be in that percentage where it does have some long-term impact yeah. and it's unfortunate because of what it's going to do to your body Right. And, and, you know, having that vaccine, I, I know a lot of people are saying, well, I don't know what's in the vaccine and how that could affect your body. Getting COVID now, how's that any better, right? It's probably right. going to be worse that you got it and it's going to have some sort of impact, which we won't know probably for another five, 10 years, maybe, because they're learning something new every day with all these variants right. and everything like that. And it's going to depend on what variant did you get on how it's going to impact your body sometime down the line. Yeah. And I had already read, like they're talking about Lambda, which is another variant which isn't very prominent in the U.S., but I think there were a few cases, but that can be more resistant to the vaccines. And then I think Dr. Fauci had said, and look, common sense, if you look at all the information, at what point do you reach a point where you're going to have a COVID variant that is immune to the vaccines that are currently out there? Right. You look at the flu, for example. Every year they have to have a new flu vaccine because the previous years will not be as effective, if even effective at at all to that year's flu virus. So with COVID, it's the same thing. You're dealing with different variants. And at some point, the more time that the virus is out there, the more time with this virus, it's learning. So you would think that at some point in time, it's going to learn to up its defenses against this vaccine. And then you're kind of back to the drawing board in, in a sense. I mean, fortunately, I think like the pharmaceuticals won't have to go through the process of completely 
ground zero and work their way up again. Right. But to develop another vaccine that will have the ability to fight off the next variant. I mean, look at the conversations about booster shots. There's a lot of back and forth. I saw someone post recently, they were fully vaccinated, but they're immunocompromised. So they contracted COVID and they ended up really sick very quickly and they got progressively worse. I think they went through one of the treatments, they were eligible for one of the COVID treatments and they received the treatment, which is helping. So the intent there is to prevent serious illness, prevent hospitalization, prevent death. So in those cases, I think the FDA may be considering, from what I recently read, approving a booster for those who are immunocompromised because there was some research a few months ago that said that people who are immunocompromised, they may not be able to build the resistance, even with the vaccines, against COVID. And that's not to say that everyone immunocompromised falls into that category. They would have to do the research for every single person. But I think, generally speaking, they're more vulnerable. Likewise, someone who is probably over the age of, like, 65, who may have underlying health conditions, even if you're vaccinated, there's always that risk. I mean, even a healthy person, you don't know what's going to happen. Right. We've seen I mean, a lot of cases where they're perfectly healthy, they work out and everything, and they still got it pretty bad and potentially passed away as well. So, right. So it doesn't really matter. Just, exactly. With COVID, it does not discriminate against who you are, what your health condition is. I mean, that's what the concern is for children going back to school under the age of 12 because they can't get a vaccine yet. And so now you have to worry about the following with Delta. Okay, you have two parents. They are fully vaccinated. They go to work, and let's say somehow, some way, they contract the COVID Delta variant. They bring it home. They can give it to the kid now. Yeah. So the two parents may be asymptomatic. They may have mild symptoms, but now you, you risk exposing your children to that. Or vice versa, a child who contracts it can then pass it on to unvaccinated or even vaccinated, given how easy the transmission is. I mean, I think early on, they had said when we were when our numbers were much lower that if you were fully vaccinated and you were near a known exposure of someone who had COVID, I believe they said that you didn't have to get tested and you didn't have to quarantine. And at that point, I was like thinking, well, you know, you have to be pretty sure that there's a low risk of transmission. And based on the data, then that's I think what they believed. But it's like in the back of my mind, I'm like a little skeptical about truly believing that because look if you told me that the vaccine was a hundred percent hundred percent guaranteed that you will not get sick you can't pass it on to anyone that's one thing but you know when you look at the efficacy and efficacy is just in an ideal environment in pretty much the test situation that's how effective it was in the real world you have to look at it bigger scale is it very effective at preventing serious illness yes is it very effective at preventing Death, yes. Is it very effective at preventing hospitalizations? Yes, apparently it is. Does it prevent you from catching the virus? Not necessarily. Those numbers go down. And we're passing it it on, right? You can get it and still pass it on. Right, And that, but that takes time to get the data in. I mean, anytime you do it, and that's why when you look at science, science is not finite. It's not fixed. It's not guaranteed. It's based on data and studies and research. And the more you have, the more informed you can be. And that's why you have to look at the big picture. And that's why, you know, for me, I've always made the decision early on, even as the guidance came out, to say, okay, I'm going to continue wearing the mask going out. I'm going to continue wearing the mask regardless until I start to see a significant trend of improvement and I feel comfortable making that adjustment. And that was a a good decision. 
because if I had decided to say, okay, I'm not going to wear the mask outdoors anymore. I'm fully vaccinated. I can go indoor dining. I can do all these things. Look, there are some people who do it, and they're perfectly fine. So that means that they're, they've been either, one, very fortunate, or two, it's a combination of vaccination and just being fortunate. Right. But you have to do it to your comfort level. And I've just been very adamant about taking the extra precautions. And I think if you take those extra precautions, you help to reduce your risk. I was reading about like masks, for example. Wearing a mask does not prevent you from catching the virus. It's not like 100% protection. The intent is that it reduces the viral load if you are in contact with someone who is infected. That's what it's meant to do, reduce the viral load. Because if there's less virus in your body, your body has the ability to fight it off versus if you have a huge viral load. And then and your the body can't fight it off. why they always say, the two keywords, right? Helps to prevent or helps prevent. Right. Right? It exactly. doesn't prevent it. There's, like you said, there's nothing finite about it. It doesn't 100% prevent it. It will help to prevent it, help to reduce the chances, but doesn't get rid of it altogether. Right. You and can always... Not just, yeah, and it's not just one thing. It's not just just get vaccinated or just wear a mask. Right. It's using all these tools available. And you have an array of tools. That's why when you think about it, you should be using the full array. Okay, so vaccination is a tool to help combat it. Masks are a tool. Hand washing, tool, social distancing, a tool. And if you use them all together, it reduces the risk. It doesn't say 100% that you will. Look, you want to be 100% guaranteed that you're not going to catch the virus. Live inside a white room. So before you go into a white room, you have to be fully tested. You have to be 100% sure that you don't have the virus. Nothing on your clothing or body has the virus. Right, but now you've isolated yourself from everyone in the world. You're just right. like a room by exactly. yourself. But that's the only way. If you want right. to be 100% no, I get it. guaranteed, that's the only way. But then you can't even eat anything because exactly. your food can have it, right? I mean, I know right. they say it can't be transmitted like that. Well, it would have to be sterilized. Everything likely. would have to be sterilized. <laughs> right. Exactly. I mean, you go to the supermarket. The other day, I went out. I bought a watermelon. What's the most I could do? Well, wash it, right? right? But I'm not going to put it into, like, the, the dishwasher to, to sanitize yeah, the watermelon. You right. can only do so do much. At that point. Right. But well, that's not to say you're not going to get on, it. Early on, it came to the question of, well, should you open your windows during COVID? Right. Because, look, obviously, if you're up on, like, the 50th floor, the odds are probably a viral load floating all the way up there and coming in through that window. The odds are, are low. If you live but if on you're the first floor, floor, what if someone's right, walking by, the they cough? Floor, right. But I had read an article that literally said that, well, the— You'd have to have so many specific conditions happen, right. meaning that you have to be in such bad luck that someone just happens to have the virus with like a good viral load. They walk up to your window, they stick their face into <laughs> your window, into, they your window. Cough into the window. You have to be standing there, you know, while that load is still active. Yeah. So, so there would be but, a but lot. But there are also there. some things at the beginning too about central air. Right. Right. You're in a building with central air. Someone has it. Right. goes through the ventilation system. If it doesn't have the proper filters or whatever, you can infect the entire building or something like that. Right. right? There, there are also different variations of what people said are possible yeah. at the time. Right. But is it there's impossible? really no way. Right. Is it impossible? I don't think anyone will guarantee that it's impossible because if you have even one instance of it happening, then it's not impossible. So, you know, you keep in the back of your mind, yes, it's possible. You think about it. If someone, you think about it this way. Someone goes into an office, small office space, they cough, they have the virus, and somehow the droplets float onto, into the air conditioning ducts. Well, when the air pushes out, it's not going through the filter because it's not going through the initial intake. 
So it's just blowing out through the ductwork. So it blows those particles out. Is that possible? I mean, sure. I think common sense wise, sure, it's possible. Scientifically, how that would all work? I mean, look, you'd have to run tests and see what are the, the number of times you run it that something like that happens. I don't know for sure. But okay, but if you just run the hypothetical situations to say, yes, anything is possible, then what do you do? You take precautions. You take mitigating steps. Like what? Leave your mask on. Leave a mask on when you're inside and, you know, when you get home, take it off. Wash your clothes. Wash your hands. Don't touch your face. You know, take all those same precautions that you need to. With anything, that's, that's the whole point is take steps to mitigate transmission. And this is no different when back in the day when people were sick and they'd go to the office anyway and they're coughing in there. Now, obviously, I'm not trying to compare like regular sick versus COVID, but just talking about when you're regularly ill. If someone's sick, a lot of us probably would not think twice. Some of us would say, okay, when I get home, I just want to take some extra precautions to be sure. Like what? Well, you might proactively say, okay, if I have a little tickle in my throat, even if you think it's in your mind, I might take some over-the-counter medication just to be safe. I would distance myself naturally from that person. If I touched anything that they were in contact with, maybe I'd wash my hands. None of that's changed. We're doing the same things it's that we always used existed. To do. Exactly. Right. It, it's just it's that sort of it's like when you go to a restaurant, than, you know, you go to a restaurant and you know you're going to eat like a burger. It's normal common sense that you're going to want to wash your hands right. before you eat the burger. But I think in the past, that didn't come into people's minds of, right. oh, all the stuff that I've touched on my way here, like if you take the subway or whatever it is, yeah. you wouldn't really think about that. Right, would people just probably eat the burger relaxed. and it is what it is. Exactly. Now with COVID, it's just brought that to attention now, right. to people's attention that, oh, wait, I do need to do this because of I can catch COVID. But you can catch right. anything else. You can still catch a cold or catch anything else that's out there you that you're touching. a stomach bug, for example. Right, exactly. And, and those are pretty bad too. But look, nothing, nothing really in terms of the protocols that we're following outside of probably making them more pronounced have really changed. I mean, there were some people wearing masks long ago. Right. During the flu oh, yeah, season, absolutely. for example, you would mm -hmm. see maybe not as many people now as what we see now, but then every so often you see people wearing a, a face mask or a covering because they didn't want to catch germs. And, exactly. And, you know, hospitals have done it for a long time, doing that in cases where there was the possibility of transmission. So all we're doing is now we have a much more serious situation and we're taking mitigating steps. But look, there will always be people who will resist and will not agree and won't see eye to eye. And again, it goes back to the fact that unless they're personally affected or directly affected, then there's not that realization. And unfortunately, there have been a lot of cases of that since yep. the resurgence of, of COVID with yeah, the Delta variant. absolutely. Bear. And then they'll, they'll say are, afterwards, yeah, they regret it and everything else like yeah. that. But it, it goes back to the... When you tell someone to do it, they don't want to do it because you're telling them to do it. Right. Right. And it sort of goes back to a kid's mindset, right? They don't listen to their parents because it's their parent telling them, do this or else this might happen. They don't care until it happens. Right. So everyone that's an adult now is really just the same concept. We're telling you to do this. So you're not going to do it because you're being told to do it. And it goes against this free will. Right. But right. Which hey, is unfortunate. It is what it I is. Think, everyone has yeah. their own opinion about right. it. You can't change that. That doesn't change overnight. So what can really be done at that point? And we're just going to go in this, this cycle, unfortunately. Yeah, we're, we're going to go, unfortunately, we are going to go in this, this cycle because, again, I mean, I don't know if we can officially call this like a fourth wave or if we just want to call it a resurgence. It doesn't really matter at this point. What it is is we got to a point where last year we were just 
going up and up and up and up on cases. And I'm watching the news reports and I'm listening to everything about what's happening. And then you come full circle 12 months later to say, look how far we've come in terms of progress. And we're starting to get back to a level of normalcy. But at that point, it's as we get to that level of normalcy, let's also not become too lax in terms of what we do. And I think that's what happened was we became too lax. And not everyone, but a lot of people became too lax. We allowed this resurgence. Where we are now in August is not exactly where we were back like February, March of last year. But when you hear the reports of, okay, now hospitals are starting to get to the point where the ICU beds are all filled up and we have more people, more cases of death, more cases of serious illness, that's not promising. And we still have another major holiday coming up, Labor Day, in a few weeks. And that could, again, push further if you don't take the mitigating steps. And then what does that mean to later this year, which is some of the topics that I had put together. And before we go to that, before we jump to that, let me just jump back to Excelsior Pass and Excelsior Pass Plus. So Excelsior Pass came out, I think it was earlier this year, as an option to have a digital document that shows that you're vaccinated. And it has very limited information. It has your name. It has like your, I think your date of birth birth. on it. Yep. And just that you're vaccinated. And a QR code on there. Right. It has a QR code, which there's an app that goes with it so you can scan it or employers or businesses can scan it to verify. And it goes, like I said, against the state database. So it's very basic information. Excelsior Pass Plus steps it up in that it's pretty much your paper card digitized. So it has all that information. So a couple of like basic differences. You put in the same information to request the Excelsior Pass versus the Pass Plus. You put in the same exact information. And with the Plus, it currently does not work with the Apple Wallet. So if you want to just use the Apple Wallet instead of going through the Excelsior Pass Wallet, you can't do it. The regular Pass, you can do it, send it to Apple Wallet, send it to Google Wallet, but the Excelsior Pass Plus, you can't do that. The Plus, you can use it outside of New York State because it's going to pretty much be a digital document of your vaccination card. It has pretty much all the information. It has the same QR code. You can have it in the app, and you can also print it out. And one thing that I didn't notice is when you use the Excelsior Pass Wallet app is it actually recommends that whoever's checking it check photo ID to go with it, which makes sense because if you have some different information, person, right? you could, yeah, yeah, you could just There's like no their, picture ID on it, but right. yeah, yeah. Exactly. Here was the problem. You know, after I was fully vaccinated, I decided, let me get the Excelsior Pass for the Apple Wallet just to have it in case I need it because I don't want to carry a paper card around everywhere I go. Yep. So I got that, no problem. And I was fortunate not to be one of the people where I guess your information, if it's slightly off, you can't pull it up. So when I hear about the Excelsior Pass Plus available, I said, okay, let me go and try it. Because I have to put in the same exact information I did to get the regular pass. That if it's in the system before to get the Excelsior Pass, I should be able to get the Excelsior Pass Plus. No dice. Because at the end, I get to the window that says, we don't have your contact information. I said, what does that mean? And I tried it through the app, and I also tried it through the computer. And their only solution, they only have a few options. You can, like, call their help desk fill out a form so that they can review your information. But generally they say to contact the site where you got your vaccine because they're responsible for putting in your information and submitting it to the state. And I'm thinking, well, the problem was that this was app was developed afterwards. So my guess is that guidance was not provided to the people who are inputting this into the database to make sure all the information that you would need to verify when people are getting the pass is entered properly. And so if, like, the message I'm getting is that we don't have your contact information. Well, you ask for the phone number, for example. So 
if you have the phone number and I submitted it to get the original pass, that means you have the phone number. And there's like a little thing on the site that says we either need like your phone number or an email address. There's no place when you request an Excelsior pass, putting in your information that asks for an email address. But even then they would have your email address because when you back then when you're booking your appointment, you put your email address in. So I'm like thinking this is, a, you know, part of this is like a very screwed up system. And I was yeah. looking at some of the news articles where people were reporting that they're having problems. And it was funny how the state, the state res- kind of responds in the way that you expect politicians to respond. Oh, boy. Well, we've had thousands of people who have successfully gotten the pass without an issue. They'll always and talk about the positives, right? right? right. They, they don't, they'll dwell on that. Well, you know what? There's yeah. always a percentage. Here, here's where... the positive spin. There are thousands of people who are, <laughs> were able to get it without a problem. We understand that there are issues, and we'll have to figure out how to solve it. But generally, it's up to the location where you actually got the vaccine for them right. to put in the information. Pass the blade, right? Pass right. the blade. And they have to have staff to deal with the issue. And that's that's passing the buck. It yes. literally is. Look, you implemented a system that requires all this information to match perfectly. But this was done after vaccinations begun. So the problem is you probably didn't provide the guidance that said you need to make sure that everyone's names are in correctly. What's well, the minimum birth. requirements? Exactly. All of this stuff has to But match all of this perfectly. is reactive, right? It's not. There's right. nothing proactive about it. It's a, all right. There's this pandemic. We need to find a cure or find a vaccine. All right, get the vaccine. But now now we have to show proof of it because of all this stuff. Now with that proof, we have to make sure that someone can get documentation on it. Oh, no, that means now we have to put a database together of all that information. Now that we have a database of it, how do we get it out to all the people? So it's all reactive of what happens. And it's, I don't think it's any one person to blame here. Right. No. We haven't dealt with something like this to this degree Times have changed on what you need to do. People have changed. People's mentality has changed. So that's why all this stuff is very reactive because it's not happened. We just have to just deal with it and figure it out. And that's really it. You know, they yeah. apologize for the inconvenience and right. But move that on. becomes, I think, part of the problem <laughs> is that people are even more frustrated because you're saying, okay, absolutely, so now, like in New York City, you need to show proof of vaccination well, to participate in all these well, things. Well, think about when you when people had to initially register for the vaccine when they said, right. oh, it's going to be available as of this date. Site goes down. Oh yep. yeah, they're going to have the the center for it. Oh, the center's closed now because it's overbooked, and all those people who book something now it's got to be moved. Right? right with everything, there's the same issue over and over. And then, like you said, there's that blanketed statement of, well, you know, it's up to that center. It's their fault. Or it's that website that you have to figure it out with. And, you know, tough luck. That's right. it. It's the same thing over and over and over with anything that's introduced. Always going to have a problem. Yeah. And for people who got their Excelsior passes early on, prior to, I forget, some time early this year, it was like March or April, they had changed how the expiration works because initially it expired after six months after your second dose. So those people who got them early have a six-month expiration date. They have to re-request a new pass because they changed it so it's for a year. So like the one that I got, the Excelsior pass that I got, is for a year. It's valid a year. Yours has to be a year. It I, should be a year from the date of your last I never actually looked at dose. that. Oh, yeah. It's right there. Yeah, it's on there, the expiration huh. date. Interesting. It should be next year. But for people who got the passes early, it was six months. So they're being right. told now, you have to make sure that you go and re-request a new pass so that you have the full year. And how do you request that? You have to go through the what, it, You go through the same process facility. again. Oh. Which is the, the whole stupid thing. It's like if you use the Excelsior Pass app, it can give you notifications when it's about to expire. But it's like if you had the six months and they changed the year, it doesn't automatically but, update. But I don't get what's the point of having that expiration. Like, you know, you know when someone had their last shot or that second dose or first dose, whatever I, it was, 
why does it need to expire? I think though? what they were trying to take into account was boosters because okay. ultimately, if there's a requirement for a booster, if you're not vaccinated anymore because you don't have the booster shot, you then kind of reset to day, exactly. Day zero then it becomes again. a problem because well, how do you got differentiate it. the people who got their first, their like one J and J dose or their two dose Moderna or Pfizer? Versus the people who got their boosters. And that will be another issue because now what ends up happening is like for all these people who get their passes that say, okay, they have like two doses or their one dose. Well, that's valid now until, you know, for a year from the time they got their last dose. So let's say you got your dose on August 1st of this year, your last, your second dose, and you're fully vaccinated then according to pass, you're fully vaccinated. And that doesn't expire until next year, August, 2022. And then they determine in October that, yeah, by the end of the year, everyone needs to have boosters, let's say. So now you're not fully vaccinated unless you get that booster. Well, now what right. happens? Are you going to automatically somehow avoid those passes? There's no way to automatically avoid the Excelsior pass because if you save it to the Apple Wallet or the Google Wallet, it's not connected to the app anymore. So how are you going to do that? Unless you say, well, okay, we're going to update the app so that now the pass will look a different color. So it's not going to be you know, the color it is now, and we're going to add new information, or we're going to invalidate your QR codes, all those QR codes that were issued originally, or well, we're going to tell you, we're going to invalidate. like inval- when we went to college, yeah. and you needed you a new sticker the for the semester. Sticker, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. New sticker for the new semester. Yeah. And the whole silly thing was that in a lot of cases, you have to go to the bursar office to make sure that you've made your payment. And if you're fully right. paid, then you can get your sticker, for right. example. But the thing is that you have to pass through security to get your sticker, you know, to get to the bursar office. And if you went, and nor- look, normally your sticker, I think, was valid at least into the month that the new semester starts. It does. So if it was like September, it would be right. to the end of September, but it would overlap. Right. But there were those security guards. It didn't click in their mind. Right. And it was just like, they wouldn't let you in. Like, wait, but I need to get my new sticker. That's why I'm here. That's why I right. came early. But it hasn't clicked in your mind that, well, there's a time frame. Yeah. But- and also the fact that when you would go to the the bursar office and they would stick the sticker on a lot of times they just keep sticking it on top of the old sticker so you'd have this yeah. huge lump on your id <laughs> yep. or one genius would say oh i'm not going to stick it on the lump of stickers that you have i'm just going to stick it on another place on your card so now now your card has stickers all over the place and these are like permanent stickers so if you try yeah, to you rip, rip it rip off it off leaves easily. the goo all over the place and it made no sense didn't they get to a point where it wasn't a sticker they used like a slip card or something yeah, well, so this was when they switched to like a debit card type right. ID where you have an ID, you have your picture, your name, and everything on there. I forgot what information was on there though, where people said, Well, I don't want to. Oh, my had your card number. Be. You could see the card number. And yes, the name. That, was, that, was, that was what it was, right. And, you know, they would tell you, you, you have to have that ID visible at all times when you're in a building. Right. So what they had to do was come up with something to cover that. So it was just a sheet that was folded in half yeah. inside that little pocket. So what they ended up doing was. They made that little pocket sheet the validation sticker right. now. So you would stick that into it. So it would just be an all-in-one type concept, which yeah. still was stupid. And then well, because if you lost staff, your ID and someone picked that one. card out, they could just right. match it with their Exactly. Card. Exactly. It wasn't tied to that anymore, right. which, again, it was very, very smart people who came up with that concept. But what are you going to say? Right. Just kind of tying into what we've been talking about in this episode, one of the topics I had put onto this list weeks ago was talking about the New York International Auto Show because they had canceled last year's show. This year's show was pushed to August. And so what I was going to talk about weeks ago was, well, what do you think, what were your thoughts about, you know, having the auto show this year? And of course, last week they had announced that 
the New York International Auto Show due to the growing concerns over COVID-19 and Delta variant and the new increased measures and guidance from CDC, the state and local governments that they were going to cancel this year's Right. Show. I mean, I think it would have been hard for them to really implement sort of social distancing in that event. Right. We've gone to that one many times and you see everyone gets in the crowd and this is how it is, right? It's the way it works. Right. You're in a convention center, everyone crowds up to look at the cars in this case or whatever. You, you're not going to social distance. You know, there's right. a lot of space there. But the problem is that, well, how much stuff can you get in there for people to look at if now everyone has to social distance? Right. And You'd only be able to have can, half of that, if even. Right. And because everyone can get into a lot of the cars, touch everything, that means that you'd have to sanitize and disinfect after every person, which is impossible. There's just no way of doing it. And to tell right. people and you can just walk around it like a museum and look at stuff isn't the same experience. No, it wouldn't be. I mean, granted, the nicer cars you can get in anyway— but you can still get into the other cars and things like that. But if you were to completely shut that out, you take away the entire concept of having the auto show for people to check out the car, the inside and the outside. You're now yeah. saying, well, you could see it, but you can't try out any of the interior stuff to see if you're comfortable with it. Do you like it? Do you not like it? It takes that all away, unfortunately. Yeah, no, definitely. I think the organizers... But it's loss of money too, right? Because right. that brings in money. Yeah, but and people had already bought this. tickets, so they have to get their refunds. Organizers are hoping to return next year in April to their regular scheduled time, but again, I think we'll see. I mean, there's another thing that was canceled last year here in New York City, the Feast of San Gennaro in Little Italy, and they were scheduled, they are scheduled to be up and running this year from September 16th to September 26th, but you also but know fair, that's, that's, that's outside, it's outdoor, but, but it's also it gets really, packed. really yeah. crowded. Exactly. exactly. So, I mean, and, I and think... Yeah, there's no way to direct traffic for that event no. either. There's, there's absolutely no way. You saw when they've tried to do that in the past, one lane to go this way, the other lane to go that way. It doesn't work like that. Everyone no, just doesn't. starts mixing up just to get to where they want to because that's all exactly. they care about, right? Right. Because, you care about yourself. Right, because the problem is that they have the stands on both sides of the street straight along Mulberry. And if you were to say everyone on the right side has to go, you know, one direction, everyone on the left side has to go the other direction, it will never it's work. not possible because the only way then to see everything as you're passing through it is you have to go through it twice, which means you go from start to finish, finish to start in order to see both sides. And like we've done it where we would go up and down several times to make sure we saw every single stand that was set up. But the reality is most people, they're not going to spend that much time. Because the other thing is, it's not just on Mulberry Street. Then you have to cross streets where they are. And so you have right. to turn off and go back and forth. And I just don't see how they're going to be able to balance it with that many people, even if it's an outdoor event, that you're just going to have everyone in a very small, confined right. space. So I think it's going to be something interesting to look at what happens I mean, it's still more than a month away, but I think it's going to be one of those things where let's see what happens. But that also brings up the question of when we were back towards July 4th, I was thinking Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. Well, last year was kind of a combined live, virtual, no audience attending. Right. But it was more of, you know, they had social distancing, mask guidelines for any of the performers and then they had a lot of pre-recorded stuff. And so the question became, well, if July 4th was like a live event, a normal event where people could watch, well, Thanksgiving Day would be similar back to normal. But now, of course, the dynamic has changed. And you can see now when I was saying like these topics, six weeks ago, we would probably have one line of thinking of the direction that, yeah, it was more feasible that they could hold a live event. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Things just, just change rapidly. Right. And, you now know, it becomes the, the question of, yeah, can you do something like that again, like a real live event, even though like the parade is outdoors, how do you deal with, again, that confined space where people are just going to be up close to one another? 
I mean, I think in was it Chicago that Lollapalooza recently happened? I it was Chicago. Yeah. I think Chicago. Yeah, they had pictures on social media. People just jam packed shoulder to shoulder. And I don't know what the protocol right. was there. Whether or not you had to be fully vaccinated, whether or not you had to be tested, any of that stuff. I don't know what the protocols were there. But obviously, if someone is contagious but they're fully vaccinated and they were able to spread it, I mean, we probably won't see the data for weeks anyway. But the idea is that's an example of well, if you have a confined event where people are like jam packed, well, then you take something like the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. Not as many people, but still lined up along the parade route. Is there a potential risk there? And then you go and think of things like Rockefeller Center, the tree lighting, which again last year was, again, kind of that mixed live virtual where you have no live audience. You would have all the protocols in place. But what happens then? And then you get to New Year's Eve. And yeah, you know, we're talking about end of year and Christmas and New Year's, but look, it's not that far away. We're in August already, so we're getting close to the last four months of the year. Last year with New Year's, it wasn't so much of a virtual. It was a live event. There were groups of people there, but it wasn't like the general public. It was like certain right, right. people who were there. And so if you imagine when you have just the normal revelers there, again, it's outdoor, but how do you manage that again? Is something like if you decide that we are going to go forward doing it, is simply proof of vaccination and testing enough because you can't really guarantee that unless you're going to say everyone else has to wear masks outdoor, which is going to be like one of those. Well, you're going to be that close to each other. Again, this is jam-packed. I don't yeah. think you really have the option of not having that mask on while you're that close with other people. Now, you know, maybe people don't care about that anymore and they're fine with that. But who knows? Things can slowly get better as we get there or things can get worse. Right. But, I mean, we're you know, still... Who knows? Right. We're still far enough away from those events from November and December that we can turn things around. There can be more mitigation. There could be more steps and we can see a decline where we'll level back off and we'll be in a good place. I think the immediate concern tends to be, you know, in terms of people coming together, one will be back to school and two, reshaping how some employers and businesses were thinking of returning to the office. Because I think that has changed. A number of companies have already change their policy including mine it has i mean a month or two ago the expectation was still you know we'll head back in september probably like in a hybrid scenario but the idea was that you would have to come back at least in some capacity and this past week we had a you know had had a town hall and they said no well unfortunately things have changed they're reevaluating at this point though september is not going to happen they were asked about october they said they don't want to commit to another time until they understand everything and right. what's going on because the last thing they want people to have to do is to wear masks in the office for eight to ten hours a day it's just not going to work out well at all and for my company we went to this open space idea since last year and you know how that's going to be you don't have walls that divide right. you or anything else and like that's that. a problem it's an now. open area all you need and everyone's be very sensitive right all you need is one woman to cough in that office and everyone's not looking at that person poor person right. who coughs and maybe maybe it's just a, a simple innocent cough because hey your mouth was dry or something like that that person's gonna get looked at and they probably yeah. gonna tell you go home so there are a lot of things for them to consider at this point but it's unfortunate it's got deferred and i think there's gonna be more and more events and things like that that have been planned that are just gonna either get canceled or something else is gonna happen with the you know coming weeks or months right i mean the open floor design has been around for a while the intent was to allow for better collaboration do away with a lot of the offices the right. offices and that was one concept. And there was a lot of controversy over it because Absolutely. people who used to have offices 
now suddenly realized they didn't have offices anymore. It was limited to a very select group of people, like top executives. And then, right. you know, you still have like conference rooms. Some companies even develop those kind of like telephone room boxes where people, if they right. need some privacy, and, could yeah, go in there. We ha exactly. We have those too. And what are you going to do though? But literally at your desk, you're sitting right next to someone. I, right. I can't even say that's six feet. No, you're, like, you're saying I, next I was to trying people. to calculate in my head. I'm like, I don't think I was six feet away from the person who was next to me. Now, what are you going to do? Have them sit in every other seat? Do we have right. enough space and for that? And it's not just sitting next to you. It's also sitting across from you. Because across there are some exactly. where it's literally, it's like a large conference room table, just a long table, and people just sit on opposite sides. And the only thing that really shields you is your monitor or your screen, something like that. There's nothing yep. else that separates. There's no privacy. So it's very much an open nope, space. And a lot of companies gone. have adopted that kind of design because it's also less expensive because you don't need to build walls. You don't need to have every space designed to a specific spec because look, if for example, like from a heating and air conditioning standpoint, you can't put walls up that one office has no air conditioning, another office has air conditioning. It doesn't work that way. But I've seen offices designed that way where all of a sudden like, how come you have no vent in here? It's always so warm. Because they put up a wall where a wall shouldn't have gone. They're supposed to design the space based on the layout, based on the floor plan. And they designed it poorly. So that's why one office is always too hot because they have the radiator and, you know, they're always cold. So they have the knob. So with the radiator, they turn that knob to high so that they're always warm. But exactly. every office down the line, they're always too hot because they have no windows. You never in make their everyone offices. happy yeah, because of the can't. way it's built, unfortunately. Right. So, yeah, you always have people who are too hot, people too cold. You have that little group of people who are fine. They have no issues. Yeah. But it's unfortunate. That right. That's just and I've seen like thermostats are that are lying on the wall directly in the line of sight of an air conditioning duct. And right. the cold air is blowing on it. So obviously the system's always shutting down because it's hitting temperature, even though the rest of the office is hot. So it doesn't work that way. Absolutely. Yeah, I think we're going to continue to see a lot of changes and companies adapting, businesses adapting. I think a lot of the large businesses that previously, like stores that were allowing the mask mandates to drop so that pretty much it was really the honor system. If you're vaccinated, you don't need to wear a mask. If you're unvaccinated, you should wear a mask. But there was no enforcement are going back to strongly recommend that you wear a mask. Not necessarily that they're mandating it. But moving toward the, we strongly recommend that you do this in the interest right. of protecting everyone. But in terms of workers, there's also, we're seeing more businesses where they are requiring that they have to be vaccinated or they'll have to kind of figure out how to do that. I think there was one company, I forgot which company it was, that fired three employees because they came into the office unvaccinated. And their policy was very specific that they were supposed to be vaccinated to prevent right. exposing the rest of the employees. So exactly. I think... There's going to be a little bit more of the harder line because, look, companies are also worried because you imagine if you're a small business, for example, and you end up with a COVID case in your company when people are there, you have to shut down. You're required to shut down, sanitize, disinfect, contact trace, do all that. Those protocols haven't changed. So you have to follow all those same protocols. You imagine a restaurant doing indoor dining and then people report that, well, people test the positive. Now, again, you shut down because you have to until you go through all the contact tracing, you go through the quarantine procedure, you make sure everyone's been tested, you make sure everything's been sanitized and disinfected, and you have to apply all that. I mean, New York introduced a law, the New York Hero Act, which was signed into law a few months ago. And under the New York Hero Act, businesses are required to have a plan in place for infectious disease going forward. And so if the Department of Health, the state commissioner says that we have this type of health emergency, you have to implement the plan. It's kind of like buildings having a fire safety plan or right. 
any sort of other emergency plans. Well, now businesses have to have these plans. Right. I mean, they, they've added to that one, right? When we used to do the fire drill one, they added the active shooter one, too. Right. Uh, what do you do if there's an active shooter in the building or something else like that? They've now trained for that, too. So that just sounds like they're just going to add on to that. Right. It's the same thing because on. ultimately they need to... Businesses have to have the plan in place. They have to distribute the plan to employees. And it literally calls for identifying pretty much all the different measures and what steps the company will implement in the event such an emergency comes into play. For example, how are you going to supply employees with PPE if necessary, for example, and having that sort of plan? Or what steps are you going to take in the event we have like another COVID-like emergency? What steps are you going to do in terms of mitigation, in terms of letting employees know that something's going on and just having that in writing so that that plan can be executed. So there are a lot of changes going on there. And I think COVID precipitated those changes because prior to that, I think there's a general idea of what people need to do, but there wasn't anything written. And a lot of times there aren't things that are written because you don't have those situations all the time. I mean, like a fire safety plan, for example, businesses and buildings are supposed to conduct the drills, I think at least every six months under FDNY requirements. And in some localities, it may be even more frequent than that, it might be quarterly. But when you look at those plans, it's like half the time when people go through these drills, they're not paying attention. They don't know where the fire alarms are. They don't know how to use the warden phone. You know, they don't realize that warden phone is not like a regular telephone where you have a dial tone. There's no dial tone to it. So when you pick it up, it sends a signal down to the lobby and someone at the fire command station, they see that light go on and then they'll pick up and they'll talk. So there'll be a delay. So there are a lot of different things people don't realize. In buildings, does every employee know where the staircase are? Because if there's a fire, you don't take the elevators. You have to use the staircases. Do you know where all the staircases are and what the differences are between the staircases? Some are internal. Some are external. Things like that. I think part of the way that the HERO Act is designed is so that there's more of a standardized protocol so that people will know what to do in that type of emergency. I mean, you take something like COVID, for example, if such a protocol were in place, would it necessarily have changed how things would have occurred? Probably not, because I think the biggest I don't think the so. Biggest I, don't, move, I don't see any change for that. Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest move now is that a lot of employers saw that remote work, working from home was an option. And I think that will probably be incorporated into a lot of plans because that's like the right, easiest. They would invoke and just say, right. oh, now everyone has to work remotely until this date or something like exactly. that. Exactly. So I think a lot I, of things would be like for management and all that back end stuff. But as a employee, I don't think there's necessarily anything Right. I think for most for people them. who can work remotely, that would probably be the direction that the businesses would go. In cases where it's not possible, then you have to look at the mitigation steps like PPE, right. social distancing, educating employees on the protocols and the latest health information trying to stagger schedules so that people who have to be physically there aren't all there at the same time, shutting down certain shared common areas, no more cafeterias, no more of those areas, so that those are congregating settings where people come together, so you'll have to do away with a lot of that. And then spread people out so that if you have the ability to use up conference rooms that have plenty of room and you can increase airflow and things like that, you'll do it. But if you're like a small business in a small office space, some of the examples I had under the HERO Act was to increase ventilation, for example. If you have something like COVID, they tell you you want to have more ventilation. Well, just cracking opening some windows is not going to be enough ventilation in office, especially in summertime. Summertime, you open up the windows, all you have is hot air pouring in. So that's not going to help. So in that case, I think with a lot of businesses, the solution will be, yes, send people 
home, have them work from home because that's the better option. And if you're in a building where the windows don't open and you're just circulating air conditioning, yeah, you can use higher end filters and all, but I don't think that you're going to have that same peace of mind that employees would expect. So you have to kind of take mitigating steps. I mean, if you look at employers now, if they felt that they could safely do it in the office, they would just have everyone come back. Absolutely. The reality is they don't feel comfortable doing that. I mean, New York State, some people wanted employers to bring everyone back come the fall. And the real, and a lot of states want to do that. It's like, hey, just bring everyone back in the fall. Let's get back to business. But when you look at employers, and look, private employers are not going to necessarily go that route. They're going to look at it from, well, what is the impact? Because there's impact to business, there's impact to employees, there's impact in terms of financial impact, because if you do have a case where someone is infected and they come into the office, again, you have to sanitize, disinfect, you have to follow all those protocols. And if you have to do that multiple times because you keep running into that situation, it's a problem. It also affects morale of employees. Well, today, one person tested positive and they were in the office. Now, tomorrow, two people. Next week, five more people. And now, you lose that morale. You lose that sense of confidence among employees to think that the employers and management are doing enough to protect employees. So you have Absolutely. to have a good plan. I think once there's that one case, everyone's in their mind and saying, well, why are we coming to the office if there was just yeah. you know, anything that just came up? Exactly. No one's going to want to come in now because they don't want to now come in, bring it home, expose it to everyone else now, and it just keeps going on. Yeah, and if you go back to like last year, I'm sure you will hear stories from employees who – we're told by employers that, yeah, we had a case somewhere in the office. May not have affected them, but we had a case, and you have to follow protocol. You have to do contact right. tracing. You have to go and figure out what other employees was this person in contact with. Any clients were they in contact with? Sanitize, disinfect. Where are all the areas that they potentially were in? Because we have to take that into account. So now you kind of do the same thing because now you're dealing with a version of the virus that is more contagious. And so if you have that one outbreak, that could expand very quickly because now one person passes it to someone else. And here's the other thing. By the time they realize that they're sick, because normally they're not going to get tested unless they have symptoms. But by right. that time, you could pass it on to how many other people? A lot of other people. And they had already said, I think the original variant was like for every one person, you can pass it on to like two or three. But with this one, one person can pass it to eight or nine. So that's right. significant. You go into a meeting, everyone's vaccinated. They think they're fine. One person a few days later comes down with symptoms. Everyone in that room now, you have to contact trace. And then everyone that they were in contact with, well, okay, six of these people went to a corporate event. And some of these other people went on vacation and they were with family and friends. And now that circle becomes bigger. And now you start that cycle again. And I think that's where the risk and the danger is. But I think in closing, look, we are at a point right now where we are seeing that resurgence, where we're seeing the numbers go up, where hopefully it does not continue to get worse and that people really, from a common sense standpoint, are looking to take mitigating steps to help slow the spread again, to knock it back down so that we don't end up where we were a year ago. I don't think we're going to end up exactly with like all this whole thing with like shutdowns and do that because I think a lot of people realize that's not going to work again, you know, trying to do a full shutdown again, although some countries are implementing that because that's their only option. But I think right. in the U.S. it's going to be a very tough sell to do another full shutdown. But I think that there will be steps to find other ways to mitigate. And, for example, going back to what New York City is doing, requiring the proof of vaccination for indoor activities, you're going to start seeing that in some states, in some localities, where they're going to get a little bit stricter in trying to get people to comply so that they can get control of this before it turns into where we were last March, April, May, June, because we don't want to see that again. But, I mean, again, it relies on people, everyone, to do their part to the best of their ability 
and just look at it as if this is affecting you personally. And I know, yes, you can look at it from a financial situation, all other different ways. And it would be nice if there were ways to solve all those other problems. But the problem right now is you can't solve everything, but you can, at least with the health issue, try to mitigate so that it doesn't become something even worse than where we are now. Absolutely. And I I don't think we could really handle another shutdown. I think a lot of businesses will unfortunately not be able to reopen if we were to shut down again. Right. Absolutely. Restaurants and everything like that. Right. They've got that big blow already. And for them to have to re-shut down again, they're not going to make it. Right. Unfortunately. All right. I think that we are all done on this topic for the time being. Thanks for listening to the David and Ralph Show podcast. You can find the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Audible, Mixcloud, and Verbal. You can follow us on Instagram at The David and Ralph Show. Until next time, we'll talk to you then. Thanks so much. Thank you, everyone. All right. Bye.